am so excited about tonight because uh, I've, uh, if you know me, I'm, I'm all into politics and I always follow the different things, but there's a lot of things that just are going on today and you just uh, don't know where we're going. But uh, I'm so thankful for our visitors tonight. So Dave, if you come forward and introduce them, and I'm expecting some great things uh, coming from our brother, and uh, hallelujah. <laughs> amen, 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 amen. So tonight we're going to be talking about some some different kind of subjects. Uh, um, Andrea is going to do a presentation on a project that she is very invested in. Kendrick's going to talk about some of the things that he's very invested in. And I'm going to be talking about the subject of Men of Valor, a group that Ken and I are associated with. And it's a group of black men, businessmen and uh, pastors who, who love God, who have an excellent relationship with God and are trying to change, are trying to get the truth out about what's going on in the black and Hispanic and the minority communities. And not just to the black and Hispanic and minority communities, but to anybody that's going to sit and listen to us. But we are targeting black and Hispanic communities because they've been bamboozled by a lot of what we see going on around us. So as Derek would say, we're trying to bridge the gap between black and Hispanic communities and traditional values or conservative values. And the way we do that is we give people the truth. We give people facts. We talk about history, uh, the foundation of which is God. Because we do believe that God founded this country. We do believe that if not for God, the United States of America would not exist. If you've had the, if you ever get the chance, a good book to read is Michael Medved's The American Miracle. That book will blow your mind. It is full of what God did for this country in its inception as it was growing through the revolution and through the Civil War and through World War I and World War II. And so we, as a group, we try to communicate to people, to black people and Hispanics, how incredible you absolutely are, that you're not victims, that you're not oppressed, that America is not systemically racist. There are pockets of racism all over the place. But nowhere in the world can you enhance your life as much as you can in America. In fact, a black person in America is 285 times more likely to be a millionaire than any other place on the planet. There are more millionaires and black millionaires and billionaires in America than anywhere else in the world combined. When you think about that, and when you see these athletes getting 160 million <laughs> on the low side, <laughs> where's the racism? But we have been led, bamboozled to believe that the inner cities are the product of racism, and they're not. The inner cities are a product of the people that run them. The inner cities are the product of a lack of education that comes from the NEA. Whereas as children, many of us were taught to be critical thinkers. Many of us were taught to work things out. We had to do long division. Remember long division? Oh, without a calculator. <laughs> we were, children are not taught these things now. 
I mean, the most important thing that children are taught in schools today is what pronoun to use. And most of the children probably think a pronoun is a, as a, as a, as a pro athlete of some sort, of a sport that they know nothing about. What's a noun? What, what sport, what sport is noun? <laughs> pro basketball player, pro baseball player, pronoun. They're, they're, they're told to use things that, and they're confused. And so what we do is we go out to communities in any way we can, and we try to communicate the truth. And we, we do not leave God out of the equation because our message is empty without God, without daddy. And I call God dad. Without him, we're getting nowhere. So I'm going to ask Aunt Andrea to come up and talk about some of the program, the program that she's working with. And if you will, welcome Andrea. Thank you, Dave. <laughs> Hey, I just want to say thank you to all of you for inviting us to come and fellowship with you tonight. We're really grateful to be here. And so I'm, like he mentioned, I'm Andrea and I work for an organization by the name of Resilient Kids. And Resilient Kids is a nonprofit educational arm under focus on the family. And I am a regional representative for resilient kids. And what that means is I have the entire southeastern part of the country that I service with our organization, with our program, except for Florida. And then I have Wisconsin, <laughs> right? Southeast. <laughs> yeah. But the only reason for that is we lived in Wisconsin. Ken was born and raised in Wisconsin. I went from Jamaica to Wisconsin and lived there half of my life and did a lot in education in Wisconsin and ministry as well. And so when I saw the power of what we bring to communities and what we bring to families, I, I, I begged my boss. I said, hey, I have to take this back to Milwaukee. They are in dire need with all that's happening in that community. And he said, well, if you take West Milwaukee, you have to take the whole state. <laughs> I was like, shucks. <laughs> I thought I had escaped the cold, because Colorado is not cold compared to Wisconsin. Yeah. When you're talking to a Jamaican girl <laughs> that went from Jamaica to Wisconsin. So raising highly resilient kids, like I mentioned, we're a nonprofit. We've been around for 12 years now, and we're very, very proud of that. And for 12 years, we've had the honor of serving communities all over the country, and we are now in 39 states. Our goal is to be in all 50 states by 2025. But we've had the pleasure of traveling all over the country and serving communities and strengthening the family through our 13-week evidence-based parent training program. And we're pretty excited about that because all throughout the country, we've had the privilege of bringing communities together. And so my particular role is I train the trainers in the community. I train the leaders to implement our 13-week evidence-based parent training program. And it's quite exciting to see a community come alive with hope of a non-threatening, simple way. And believe it or not, it's kind of interesting because when you look at the demographics of who we work with, 95% of the people in the communities that end up bringing us there is the small C church. And it's pretty powerful. 
95% of who we engage with to bring heal in the families, to strengthen the family, to encourage parents, to empower parents with the tools that we provide through Raising Holly Capable Kids are believers all over the country committed to restoring the family and their communities and strengthening the family in their communities, and it's quite an honorable work, and I'm just so excited to be a part of it. So just let me tell you a little bit about our program real quick and what we provide to communities. And so we serve communities in two ways. We absolutely have a retail model that people can purchase the training, and we go out, we train them, they purchase the material, and then they begin to do small groups all throughout their community serving the family. And then we have what we call a community grant. Now, our community grants are given to communities that serve the underserved population. Whatever that looks like in your community, it could be um, violence, it could be a high drug use rate, it could be a high dropout rate within the community, it could be poverty. We look for that criteria in the communities. And then we also look for what we call a community champion. A community champion is usually the boots on the ground person in that community that us reps work with to really make the connection, spread the word, bring the community together. The last thing that we look for, which I think is the piece that makes it most successful throughout the country, is a coalition of community partners. We usually say, do you have or can you rally together a coalition of community partners that will rally together, wrap around this program to really support the program to remove the barriers for the underserved population so that they can commit to a personal growth and development for 13 weeks like that. And this is a perfect opportunity where businesses come together, churches come together to serve all throughout the country in these communities to be a part of the solution. Like lots of churches provide childcare because they have a children's ministry with background approved, even with schools. And that's what's so powerful. We, because we're evidence-based and an educational arm of focus, we get to go into areas that focus could never touch. And so we work with lots of schools all over the country, and schools open their doors. It's amazing. I know it looks like the church isn't really involved in a lot of the communities, but it's so amazing how many churches are engaged with their schools and their community where schools welcome the churches to be a part of the solution and serve in their families. It's pretty beautiful. And so let me tell you why this program is so significant and why it's so easy to take it into communities without forcing the gospel down someone's throat, right? We're a 13-week evidence-based training program, but we're based off of, and we built our curriculum in partnership with the Search Institute. The Search Institute's been around for decades, since the 1950s, and they have done decades and decades of research with over 6 million young people all over the country for 
every dem demographics you can think of, every ethnic group you can think of. And what they found was there are these 40 essential ingredients, building blocks, that when kids have them in their lives, they're more caring, they're more responsible, they're more resilient, and they stay away from high-risk behaviors. And so because of the power and the efficacy of that data, we partnered with them, and we built a curriculum for parents. See, almost everything in life, you cannot accomplish many things in life without having some type of training required. You can't even drive without being required to get a license. But when it comes to parenting, there's absolutely hardly nothing out there for you to prepare you to be a parent, right? You just have a baby and bam, you're a parent and all of a sudden you have to become an expert in every field of life and there's no support system, right? All the parents in the room and it's a trial and error, <laughs> guessing game, prayer game <laughs> throughout the process of, oh, I hope I didn't screw my kid up. Am I doing this right? And so what we did was we took their data and we prepared a program for the parents to educate them and empower them. What are these 40 assets? Why are they important for you to have them in your own life as a parent? And then how do you bring them into the lives of your kids to help them to be more successful and resilient in life? And so we've done that and some things that our third-party research has found after studying some of our communities is pretty powerful. And we see it all over the country that when the parents come together to take advantage of our program, instantly it begins community. It begins to develop a strong community within the communities. First of all, what's so unique about it is we train the leaders in the community and they serve their people. So they're being cared for by the people in their community, not a stranger coming in trying to teach them what's right or wrong. It's people around them that care for them and that are serving them. The second thing is they found that the parents who learned the assets took the program, they saw their kids learn the assets and change their behavior based on they themselves changing their behavior. Isn't that powerful? So I like to say we make heroes of parents again in their child's life because now they become the go-to. The kids change because the parents change. And that's the power of it. I just want to throw out a few of the assets for you just to kind of give you the power of what families are learning all over the country. And shame on me, I didn't bring my glasses up here, but I love the support category because it talks about family support. <laughs> Thank you. You know how it goes as you age. <laughs> you need glasses after you turn 40. You know, positive family communication. How powerful is that? That we they get to learn what does good family support look like? What does good positive family communication look like? What does a caring neighborhood look like? What's your role as a family and as kids? How do you become a part of the caring community? Thank you so much. And then here's another one that they learned that I think is so powerful. They learned the power of a religious community. Parents get to, whether they're a believer or not, they embrace this because they get to learn about the power of how kids excel better when they're engaged 
in a youth program, when they're engaged in a religious community of some sort, they get to take that and understand, even if I don't go to church, oh, maybe I need to get my child involved in some type of youth program. The kids get to learn and the parents learn about personal, a positive personal view of their future. Really, I like to say, what would our world look like if every single person throughout our country had a positive view of their personal future? Wouldn't we have a different world? And so that's what we have here. What's so powerful about the grants that we give to the communities that serve the underserved is for 18 months after we train the community, they get to run as many of these 13-week classes as they desire free of charge because we provide the materials for them. So it's like a no-risk opportunity to strengthen your communities. The biggest problem we've had throughout the country that we keep hearing from all of our communities that use it is they don't want to break up. They're like, oh my gosh, the the participants. When we get close to the end, they're already trying to figure out, what do we do to stay together? We can't separate. And so I think that's a beautiful problem. We're working on the solutions. But I want you to know that's available to you too here. Lots of churches use it for small group. But one of the reasons why that's originally, one of the reasons why this is so effective is this originally gave the church an opportunity to serve the outer community to be a little bit outward facing and serve their community in a non-threatening way. And so it's available to you guys. We are having a blast all over the country. We get so many stories of how fathers learn to not be so hard on their kids, to not yell at their kids, to love at their kids. We've had so many people through the court system go through our classes and because of our program, get their kids back, get off drugs, begin to further their education. We've had so many families be restored through this. We've had so many parents realize that it doesn't matter what background you come from, we all experience the same challenges as parents and finally realize you're not alone because you have a community here. And we have so many parents that get to say and see and understand that we all have strengths and we all have weaknesses. And that does, your weaknesses doesn't trump your strengths and make you a bad parent. They get to learn your strengths and your weaknesses work together and can work together to make you a good parent. And so we're just so grateful to be a part of strengthening the family. Because I just want to say this one last thing. The family is a representative of the Trinity. The family is the closest representative of God. And we're just so grateful to be a part of a movement throughout the country that's strengthening the family and serving communities and watching community people come together and work together and dream again for their community. So thank you so much. All right. It's party time. All right. So uh, it's party time. Uh, So my name is Ken Davis. A little bit about myself before I get into my presentation. Uh, So we, as my wife has mentioned, uh, moved here from Wisconsin I am actually 
you know, you said beer and brats, but no Packers. Thank you. Um, <laughs> and that's why. <laughs> I appreciate that you didn't say Packers. Um, no, you could say that. And I'd appre- I and I can receive that in Jesus' name. All right. So uh, over the last 10 years, I've had the honor of teaching the Constitution of the United States uh, to adults primarily. Uh, so I actually started as a small group, uh, what, what would be a normal small group. My first group was four people in a closet with a TV and a DVD player. Uh, we now average roughly 50 to 55, 60 people a week uh, on a Saturday that come to learn about the Constitution of the United States. Now, because of the consistency, I guess, uh, of me doing that, because by the way, the reason I started doing it uh, is because I didn't know. I'm watching the news, and I'm hearing these politicians tell me what is and what isn't constitutional, and I remember going, I don't know if they're right. And I probably should know. We had a pastor back home in Milwaukee that used to always say, don't just trust what I say, read it for yourself. And so upon hearing all that, I decided, you know what? <laughs> I better go read it for myself. And I decided to start it as a small group. Uh, again, it's, it's flourished. It's turned into kind of a uh, behemoth. Uh, and because of that, uh, I was asked last year to come on to uh, Karis's third year practical government uh, as an adjunct. And so this would be my second time in two days up this mountain, uh, up the hill uh, to, to teach. And I thought as the subject matter, uh, I said, you know what? I think I'll, I'll present exactly what I presented to. Uh, they've, they've expanded my role this year, this fall. And so uh, I'm speaking to first and second year students as well, not just third year practical government. Um, and so I said, you know, that'd be a great, especially as we are all in the middle of election season. Isn't it? It is amazing what is on TV during election season. There are more election ads. And so uh, I do teach Constitution from the biblical standpoint. Uh, so what I mean by that is is we look at what the founders did and said as they were putting this document together uh, and and we take it exactly as it was written so so we don't I don't pontificate on what I think it means uh, and I don't take some some former judges stance on it or any current judges stance on what uh, what it is uh, I am it is not all I do I am a small business owner and so when we're done here, I'd like to be introduced to your agent, our block person, because I owe every year. You know, trying to figure out how I cannot owe uh, the Fed, because they don't need any more of my money than they've already been taking. No, no, they are not. Actually, that sucks. <laughs> they are, <laughs> uh, because because the the Feds can can actually. Um, take and use whatever uh, means to accomplish uh, anything that they put in place. And so there was actually an amendment uh, in 1913, two worst amendments ever, by the way, if you want to look them up, 1913, uh, one of them created the income tax. And so the feds, you know, they, they divvy out that work to the IRS. So in essence, <sighs> they are constitutional. 
uh, now how they do and what they do. Probably not so much. Uh, and so we want to talk about the Exodus parallel. Uh, I, I'm, I'm probably not going to be providing you information uh, that you've not heard in the past. Uh, and maybe this will be something new to some of you. And so who knows that the, 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 the document, who's ever heard of that document, the Declaration of Independence? Okay. I want to read just, this is, of course, it's not the entire declaration, but I do want to read just a smidge here. When in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with one another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitled them. A decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the cause, the cause is, which impel them to the separation. To the separation. Uh, is there anyone in the room that does not know who we separated from? Good. You'd be surprised. I've actually seen someone do man on the street and asking, you know, who fought the Revolutionary War? You know, why, why was the Civil War fought? And you'd be stunned. People say, well, that was between France and Germany, right? I actually heard someone answer one on it with a nation that didn't even exist at the time. And I thought, okay. So we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed, that whenever any form of government becomes destructive to these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or abolish it, and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing it, its powers in such form. Okay. I, I need help here. So just shout it out. Um, what reason are governments instituted? For what reason are... Okay. To maintain our rights. Which rights? God-given rights, right? And when and when they do not do this, uh, we can we can abolish them and create a new government that will laying its foundation on such principles. Okay. <laughs> no, you're good. That's okay. So so these rights um, had a had a question last week. Actually, a lady in in our in our class. It starts talking about, um, and listen, um, please don't be offended by anything I say. As my wife will tell you, I, I can be a little sarcastic, uh, but I mean, not, I don't mean anything by it. Uh, and so if I say something uh, that offends your sensibilities, forgive me and, and we can, we can duke it out later. All right. So, but in the moment, forgive me. So, um, she was talking about masking. I, bring, I said, forgive me, because if you think masking was okay, that's fine. But she was she was saying how she there's a place she goes to now that is still requiring that she wear a mask. And her her response to them is, well, uh, this is against my constitutional rights, which whoever who, whoever who in this room has never used the phrase my constitutional rights. Right. Everyone. 
says that. And so I, I, I got up and I, and I told her, that's fantastic. Uh, you stood up for yourself. Uh, class, I need you to understand something. We don't have constitutional rights. There are, there's no such thing as constitutional rights. We have God-given rights. And the Constitution is put in place to require the government to do things to protect those God-given rights. We have God-given rights. That is it. That's where it stops. And so, and, and, and you can explain that to whatever, you know, honestly. If, if the Bible says it's okay, then it's okay. At least by me. And so, the Exodus parallel, uh, many people say, and, and, and I'm going to, I, hopefully what I want to do here is to help you with, if you've not already mailed in your ballot, I'll pray for you if you have, but if, <laughs> if you've not already mailed in your ballot and you even intend to show up on election day, um, I, I want to help you, uh, have a basis in which you will use to vote. Okay. All right. So it is said by many historians that our republic form of government comes directly from Exodus 18. So Exodus 18, 17 through 23. And, and by the way, who, who it, it, was Moses's father-in-law? Uh, was he a Jew? Now he was a pagan, right? Okay. Keep that one in mind. All right. Moses' father-in-law replied, what you are doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Listen now to me, and I will give you some advice, and may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Teach them his decrees and instructions and show them the way they are to live and how they are to behave. But select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring every difficult case to you. The simple cases, they can decide themselves. That will make your, your load lighter because they will share it with you. If you do this and God so commands, you'll be able to stand the strain and all these people will go home satisfied. Okay, so our republic form of government, that's, that's a vertical alignment. And in that vertical alignment, men are to uh, oversee thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. That would be, and, and I'm going to skip over this part of the presentation, but that's your, that's your nation, thousands. Your state, hundreds. Your county, fifties. Your cities, tens. That's the vertical alignment that was put, play, put in place by, by our Constitution. But I, I wanted to go back to uh, something that you know, most of us probably never thought about. Jethro, as we all just agreed to, was, was a pagan, yeah? That, that is pretty insightful. That is pretty insightful. I'd like to say uh, that God used the Holy Spirit, gave Jethro what to say, because a pagan 
didn't even most pagans didn't even think in this manner and 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 actually uh gave glory to God in this in this whole comment that Jethro uh mentions and so as we are choosing our leaders i need someone to please tell me there are there's i believe four characteristics listed as to what we look for out of a leader who wants to just yell out one Okay, F- fear God, haste this on his gain, trustworthy. Is there one more? Is it in the scripture? But, okay, trustworthy, uh, hate this on his gain. You, you missed the most, you missed the first one. Capable. All right, so a capable man. And I'll be politically correct, although I'm generally not. Or woman. A capable man or woman, meaning they're able to do the job. Okay? Are they able to do the job? Again, don't stone me, but just hear me out. The next one is already mentioned. Men who fear God. Now tell me, does that say... A Christian man, does it say a man who's a pastor? Does it say man who oversees a ministry? It just says a man who fears God. Why do we as believers too often look for a pastor to vote for? Especially in my lifetime, I hear that, I, I see that a lot. It's, it's, we're looking for a pastor. I got saved in 1996, so I'll say, since I got saved, it, it, every time election comes around, it feels like the church is looking to elect a pastor. It's not what it says. It's not the direction that Moses was given. He said, fear God. Now, I'm going to invoke a name here that usually leads to people being really angry. Or if you're like me, it may lead you to giggle a little bit because every time I saw him, I laughed a little bit. So Donald Trump. All right. So Donald Trump, um, I don't think anyone would argue uh, was a robust Christian. I'm not saying by the time he left that what happened while in the White House, I I will not pretend to uh, judge. But prior to that, I think we could all agree he was prob- most likely not the most robust Christian. Right? Capable. Okay, so he'd run businesses. He'd done a lot of things. Um, so when I, when I apply the first characteristic, he, he was definitely capable. Okay? Fear God. I'll never forget this. Um, and, it, and if you paid attention as he was... Uh, running up to 2016, the people he started to surround himself with, um, there were a lot of godly people that he began to surround himself with. And during one of the um, debates, I try never to miss a debate. I also try never to miss a State of the Union address, uh, even when they don't call it a State of the Union address, like they did this last time. So uh, one of the debates, he the, somehow abortion came up. 
I don't remember the question, um, but he looks at Miss Hillary Clinton and says, you're okay with them killing the baby all the way up until the day it's born. Because, you know, he likes to stir the pot and he doesn't like to follow rules. So he's just saying this uh, kind of in the mix. And I and I, I remember the camera went to her and this is what she did. She just shrugged her shoulders. And I thought, oh, my gosh, it was almost as if I was <laughs> not to. It was almost as if I was staring into evil. It is if you if you if you can go back and look at that image, I was I was it blew me back in my chair. However, I believed as I was listening that I was hearing a man that that actually may not have been a robust Christian, but he had a healthy fear of God. Life was important to him. I mean, there were these things that. Again, just starting to play out. All right. So now we go to the third one. And feel however you will about this one. Was he trustworthy? <laughs> I don't know. I won't pretend to know. Uh, I, I'm trying to get it. I'm trying to find as many of these characteristics in people I vote for as possible. Hopefully, you know, I can get all four. But the last one hates dishonest gain. Now, again, Take this and put it in context. Because he was a very wealthy man, I can tell you, I know, I, I know my fair share of people who've been to D.C. D.C. eats its young. It, it, it eats its young. Don't go there with no foundation because you will compromise. Okay? The one thing I knew is no matter how much money was put before him, it wouldn't be enough for him to compromise. He was already a very wealthy man. Not that we should be looking for a very wealthy man, but he was not going to be easily swayed by money. Right? He had, he had plenty of money. Um, and so let's look at how many of you have ever heard of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez? Not enough of you, apparently. All right, so AOC, uh, so you've probably heard her called that. AOC. Uh, does, does anyone here know what AOC's job was prior to going into Congress? Bartender. So, I've never lived in the Bronx. That's, that's her district. Um, so I've never lived in New York. Um, but I do know it's a fairly expensive place. Right? Okay, thank you. Um, I don't know. Throw some numbers out there. How much? How much do you think uh, ALC made in an average year as a bartender? As a bartender. Okay, I, I'll, I'll I'll lean in his direction because it's New York. Let's say let's say seventy five thousand. Okay, how many? How much uh, does anyone know? How much we pay uh, our average House representative? It's right around 150, between 150, 170, I think they recently um, took advantage of a raise. Uh, and then they get paid that for life, by the way. But that's neither here nor there. We, we can deal with that later uh, when the people get angry enough. All right, so, <laughs> so we paid her in her first two years um, a combined, let's call it three, 350, 360,000. We'll round up. 
360,000. Does that sound fair? Who can tell me a little over two years into, because she, she's now in her second term, a little over two years into, uh, after her first term, going during her first year, who can tell me what ALC's net worth was roughly three years into Congress? Wow. You are, <laughs> you are, you are almost, you're pretty much spot on. Three million. Okay. Every American should have a problem with that. And I'm just using her as an example. We've got hundreds of them. Remember, there's what, 435, 453, no, 435. I said do the math. 435, and, and then there's a hundred senators, right? Um, and somehow, so many of them come out of office, if they come out of office, wealthy, very wealthy, actually, even though we know exactly how much we pay them. So that, that dishonest gain one, kind of important. So we were given a warning. By James Madison. James Madison said, if Congress can employ money indefinitely for the general welfare and are the sole and supreme judges of the general welfare, uh, a very misused clause, by the way, in the Constitution, uh, they may take care, take the care of religion into their own hands. They may appoint teachers in every state, county and parish. Now, my wife is Jamaican. Um, so her, her nation is still very, uh, has a lot of British, if you will, um, undertones. And so they still call areas of the island parishes. For our sake, for our use tonight, a parish is a city. Okay? Yes, that's correct. Still do it in Louisiana. And pay them out of the public treasury, th those teachers, by the way. Uh, they may take into their own hands the education of children. Hmm. They may take into their own hands the education of children. Anyone here ever heard of Common Core? Okay. The establishing in like manner schools throughout the union. They may assume the provision of the poor. Is that happening? It's called welfare. Was welfare always part of our American system? Okay. All right. Were the power of Congress to be established in the latitude contended for, the, the latitude contended for, what, what, what is he referring to when he says the latitude contended for? Yeah, all that stuff above. Were the power of Congress to be established in the latitude contended for, it would subvert the very foundation and transmute the very nature of the limited government established by the people of America. Okay. If does limited mean small? Okay. Tell me outside of small, what what's a good definition for limited? Constrained. Like that. Those, those smart care students, none of them said that. 
I like that. Constrained. Say it again. Regulated. Mm -hmm. Boundaries. Okay. Limited <laughs> does not necessarily mean small. It means operating within its boundaries. Right? So we want a government that operates within its boundaries. Uh, who can tell me uh, if you know anything about the Constitution? Uh, or if you don't, take a guess. Uh, it, do we know is the Department of Education found in the Constitution? What about the Department of Energy? Hmm. What about... <laughs> That's right. That's right. So you think there's all these bureaucracies um, that they've that they've basically um, contracted out to do things in some cases that are actually outside of their boundaries, which is why I said technically the IRS is constitutional, but the Department of Education is not. <laughs> so so they have boundaries. They are limited. And, and when we are talking to, if you get an opportunity to talk to who's, who's, uh, you guys fall under Michael Bennett here? Who's your senator? Michael Bennett? Okay. Um, and who is your Congress? No, is it? No, it's not Lamborn up here. It is Lamborn? It was redistricted? Ooh. Okay, there's that. <laughs> so if you ever get an opportunity to have a conversation with these people, um, which I have, and I've had opportunities to talk to people who are running for some of these, these seats, I, I want you to always first keep those four characteristics in the back of your mind. Let it, let it almost become second nature. So that when you ask questions, you're trying to get to those answers. And what are they again? What are those four things? Capable, are they able to do the job? Fear God. Trustworthy. Hates dishonest gain or hates a bribe. Okay, keep those things in the back of your mind when you get a chance to talk to these people. So I will, I will kind of end here. Oof, so much fun. So I'll end here uh, with, I had an opportunity uh, to have a discussion with a candidate uh, who's running for I'm trying to be um, discreet here. So, starting as candidate, and, I, and the first question I asked is, why? Why are you running for this particular seat? Because I want him to, that question will get me to whether or not this person is capable, right? And they said, well, you know, I want to work on getting rid of this this high inflation and and, you know, there's all this defund the police uh, uh, talk, and, and I want to end all this defund the police because uh, we're a nation of law. And, and, and by the way, most of them have been really well coached, generally. So they'll use all the buzzwords. as on both sides of the aisle, right? They'll use all the buzzwords. So he, he, hit, he hit him. 
This person hit inflation. <laughs> this person hit law enforcement and, 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 uh, you know, the, the, the defund the police thing, which is a huge thing to a lot of people, uh, especially in larger cities. And, and he's go, he, this person goes on and on. Uh, and I said, okay, I said, well, time out. I said, first of all, uh, the seat you're running for, for will have zero influence on local policing. Zero. Okay. And, and by the way, most of the things, this is probably going to be the trigger here. Most of the things that you are, uh, that you've mentioned to me are all things that they, they originate in the house. House of Representatives. You're not running for that. You're not running for the house. Well, you know, um, now let me tell you, I have taught the Constitution for a decade. I understand that 90 plus percent of Americans don't have a clue what's in that document. That's an unfortunate truth. It is probably why I continue to do what I'm doing is to, to make that, get that number smaller and smaller, uh, as of the people that don't know the Constitution. And they don't teach it. So, so I was quickly, uh, pulled away by the handler. Hey, what are you, you know, why are you asking these questions? Listen, I'm just, I'm not a plant. I'm actually here. These people have to earn my vote. Right? And, and now I've already uncovered this person's not capable, uh, because they don't even know the job. They don't know the job. And, and the person says to me, well, you know, they may not know the Constitution. I said, that's a lot of people. Granted, we'd like for people who are swearing an oath on, on a document to know it a little bit. I said, but I'm not asking that this person know the Constitution. I'm asking that this person know their part of the Constitution. I said, it's four or five pages, depending on how small your Constitution is. Article one, four or five pages. This person, person, now, had they come to me and said, they don't know it, but they're willing to learn. That, that, that would have been a great help to me. I'd be okay with, but they're willing to learn because I'm willing to teach, right? Now, a lot of people who are willing to teach, but that's not what they did. And it's not, and so I didn't even have to get to, uh, that this person, um, well, okay, thank you. Not capable. And I later learned their stance on a certain thing, which leads me quickly to, and they don't fear God. Because I can tell you, a person that truly fears God has a deep respect for life. Deep respect. This person does respect life. So I didn't even have to know whether or not they they hated dishonest gain or were trustworthy because they aren't even capable of doing the job. And and the unfortunate truth is most of us don't get that opportunity, and that's okay. But there's tons of of um things out there for us to go and find out if we're willing. The the internet is a powerful, powerful tool. You can learn a lot by searching and, and trying to understand someone. And so I want to encourage you, A, uh, don't 
don't forsake your vote. Do not forsake your vote. I know a lot of us feel like our vote doesn't matter, right? Uh, but Noel Webster, a, a not so well-known, I, I take that back. Everyone here knows who Noel Webster is, kind of, because there's a dictionary named after him. But he said, when you become entitled to exercise the right of voting for public office officers, let it be impressed on your mind that God commands you to choose for rulers just men who will rule in the fear of God. The preservation of government depends on the faithful discharge of this duty. If the citizens neglect their duty and place unprincipled men in office, don't yell out anyone's name, uh, the government will soon be corrupted. Laws will be made not for the public good so much as for selfish or local purposes. Corrupt or incompetent men will be appointed to execute the laws. Listen, we have who we have on the ballot, and I would encourage you to vote. Um, but I would I would encourage you to make sure that when you vote, you you vote in a manner that you know that there's a day coming that you are going to stand before the Lord, and and you're going to have to account for every idle word and every idle action. And if you say, uh, well, you know, God, I kind of held on to the word when I was, you know checking this box. He's going to say, oh, okay, horseshoes, good enough, come on in. Is that what he's going to say? Is that what he's going to say? I'm guessing he won't. So if you don't conscious, consciously uh, feel secure in the person that you're voting for, and I know this does not uh, probably rub people the right way, um, I'm not saying don't vote, but maybe there was a candidate that you thought was actually a better candidate. Here's what I believe. I, I am most likely uh, not going to, I'm, and I'm actually going to show up to the polls the day of. I'm going to take my ballot and so I can prove to them that I didn't complete it. Then I'm going to tear it up in front of them and say, please hand me uh, a blank ballot so I can go vote in person. Um, I am probably <laughs> not going to vote straight ticket. Uh, and, and, and again, I'm not asking anyone to take the same approach I'm taking. Um, because I believe that we have some candidates, as I've just talked about one, that's not a good candidate. And I want to require these, these people to put these candidates in front of us to put in front of us solid candidates. And so if I don't vote for their candidate and maybe I choose someone else um, or I write someone in, I am hoping a message is sent. One of the things I didn't mention is I am a house chair. I'm a house district chair in, down in Colorado Springs. So I'm part of a party. Which party? Doesn't matter. Um, but I am, I am pushing to have that party put in front of the people, people who can beat at least three of those four, at least three. How hard is that? But that the one on top for me is fear God. I'm not asking them to be a Christian. I'm asking them to fear God. I'm asking that when they put their hand on the Bible and they swear, they recognize that there's a power higher, higher than government. 
that will hold them accountable when no man is there to hold them accountable. So with that, I guess we, we, we're going to take questions, or if or not, hopefully I've helped someone. Uh, maybe you learned something you didn't know, like who's, who's that dictionary named after. That'd be pretty cool if you learned that as well. Um, and, and if you have any questions for me about any of it, uh, because I do, have, I do get the opportunity to get in front of the, some of these people, um, and, and I'm thankful, I'm grateful. I would have never foreseen, I never thought the day would come. So. One thing I have a hard time uh, finding the information is, is on the, um, yes. <laughs> okay, who, who's the information center here? I will send you a really good piece uh, about the judges. It's long because it, it covers all of them, uh, not just Teller County or not just El Paso County, but I'll happily email that to anyone um, uh, so that, because you're right, judges are tough. Um, you know, not every state gets to vote, elect their judges. We are fortunate that we live in a state that we do get to elect our judges, but they're very difficult to research. You know, it's, you, you could spend hours looking at cases, trying to figure out how they adjudicated a case, um, and things of that nature. So it can become a challenge, sir. So what's the, uh... No, I'm it's a, it's a, <laughs> it's a doc, it's long. It's a document. It's not a website. But clearthebench.org, uh, which I don't think is up anymore, but that's one that you, a lot of people used to use. All right. Uh-huh. Sure, you can go look at Jeff Cranks, maybe, sort of. Uh, uh. All right. <laughs> All right. Did you have something? I'm sorry, Demina. It was related. If you had any, we're ten days out. Yep. So if you had any recommended resources that people could do and utilize in the next ten days, and I'm very happy that you encouraged folks to go down and vote. We need to get back to that. Oh my God! For a variety of reasons, but very importantly, we need to we need to show out. And even if I mean, it's interesting. I've heard some things suggested, like I think making it a national holiday is a little bit much. However, however, encouraging people to go out and make it the big deal that it actually is in this country. Because if you've been in other countries, you know what they would give up just for the right to do what we take for granted. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, on that, really quick, because I'm sure I don't have much time. Uh, so he, he brought up um, voting in person. So I'm from Wisconsin. Uh, they don't do mail-in ballots like we do here. Uh, so just understand, we're not the gold standard, no matter how many times you've heard that. Uh, you go vote in person there, even though there is early voting, but you still have to go uh, to the polls. And, and as believers, let me ask you this. Uh, how, many, how many votes uh, did did uh, Donald Trump get in 2020? Anyone know? It was, it was about 71. Low of 70, right around 71. Does anyone know how many votes did Joe Biden get? <laughs> yeah, it was like 80, a little over 81 million. Okay. Um, how many Christians, how many evangelical Christians did not vote? Come down just a little. A little more. 25 million 
evangelicals did not vote. 25 million. How many votes did Joe Biden win by? About 10 million. 25 million evangelicals stayed home. We have to vote. And even if you don't think that what happened in the election was accurate, you know why you don't think it was accurate? Because we overwhelmed the system. Bunch of people voted. 80, we're talking roughly 150 plus million people voted in that election, supposedly. <laughs> so, so we overwhelmed the system, which, which causes anything that's done in the dark to be caught, brought into light. And that's what we saw. That's what we're seeing. That's why you're seeing all these um, lawsuits and things going on around the country, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, all the swing states. I mean, I, I, I've never seen an election in which every swing state, every single swing state was in question. It's never happened. Just saying. But thank you all. I appreciate your time. Oh, resources. I'm sorry. Church Voter Guide is a good one. Um, Truth and Liberty did their, their voter guides. Those are, are, and they'll, they'll bring some to any church for people to hang, hand out. And we've got a boatload at our church. Uh, but the church, churchvoterguide.com, uh, is an electronic one. It's, you can open it up. They asked questions and they gave them 120 words to respond and they, they were able to get almost every candidate, uh, to respond. And so that's a good one to use as well. So would you be amenable for people to put down their email address on this paper so that you can send the judges thing? Because mm -hmm. we went through the judges and we spent two hours trying to figure it out. So um, if you want the judges thing, be sure to put your, your um, email on this. Um, yeah, thank you so much. You guys could give them a hand because I love stuff like this.